Hey, I'm Alan Gerding from the Tuesday Night Podcast, which is obvious because you're listening to it right now if you're listening to this. And this is another installment of the Holiday Spectacular, where we're just kind of going off book. There's no SBJ. I know Sean in this little segment, not at least, because SBJ selfishly wanted two weeks off. Not really. I wish him the best. That's really cool because he works hard at editing these things. Speaking of which, if it sounds like crap, you can't blame SBJ. You can blame me because I'm editing these. But today's special because I have what I always describe as simply one of my favorite people in the world. And it's selfish for me to kind of bring him on because it's my cousin, Chuck. Say hey, Chuck. Howdy, everybody. <laughs> so who the hell is Chuck and why should we give a crap about him? Well, I'll let him answer that. Chuck, who are you? Why should we give a damn? My name is Chuck Nicklow. I'm your cousin. Married your cousin. Yeah, cousin Amanda. Yeah, I live out here in San Francisco. I run a costume shop. Which costume shop is that? Costumes on Hate, San Francisco's best year-round costume shop. That's how it sounds on my voicemail anyway. Very cool. I hear that's a big deal. It is. We're definitely an institution. I see a lot of people. We just survived Halloween, which is part of the reason why I think we kind of really delayed even trying to do this until now. I get really locked down for about six weeks, end of September through into November. And now it's the same thing with Amanda because she's just selling chocolate all the way through Christmas. Amanda, your wife, my cousin. Yeah. The interesting thing is about costume on hate. You're obviously really busy because it's this cultural phenomenon, which I didn't even realize until I was talking to someone that not even from San Francisco mentioning my cousin Chuck. And I said, yeah, he works at a costume shop out there. Oh, like costumes on hate? It's like, no, that that's exactly it. And she was floored. No way. This girl said, yeah, he works at costumes on hate? Yeah, how do you know? Who does it? You don't know costumes on hate? Apparently, it's a big to-do. It is the type of place that I will run into people randomly somewhere, and I'll bring up what I do. And It's an interesting, fun job. It's an inter- It sounds like a very interesting place, so people always want to ask me about it. And it's definitely the type of place I'm, yeah, I work at a costume shop in San Francisco, and they ask me which one and invariably at least about 50% of the time they're like oh I went in that shop I was in there 10 years ago when I got clown nose or whatever it is that they came in we haven't even talked about why would I bring my cousin onto a podcast about board games besides the fact that you're one of my favorite people in the world but why are you one of my favorite people in the world it's because you are one of the most genuine affable people as soon as someone meets you I'm gonna crush on you a little bit so it's okay just sit back and be uncomfortable it's fine (laughs) anyone who meets Chuck automatically really likes Chuck because you seem to just unconditionally gives people the time of day or maybe in the back of your mind you think wow this person's a douchebag but in no way do you show that and I don't think you actually think that also you are a bard my friend you tell amazing stories because you've lived a life that's a little bit more than ordinary I would say just also the way you tell stories and there's one in particular I want you to tell today because I I just want to share it with the world 
world because it's amazing and I think it's appropriate for our holiday spectacular. But before we get into that story, we'll save that for last because you know exactly which one I'm talking about, yeah? I do. I believe it did happen during a holiday season as well. There's a Christmas slant to it, Christmas in the sense that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I think it's apropos for our holiday spectacular. But the other thing I wanted to mention is when I met Jeremiah Isley from Theology of Games, I thought, oh my goodness, this guy reminds me a lot of Chuck. You guys, like me and Jeremiah, have radically different views on some things, but character-wise, very similar. For instance, he runs Theology of Games, and that's this Christian gaming site and network. He has his podcast, and we just did a Star Wars recap. It just went up at the time of this recording today. But I mentioned him to him, like, I've got this friend, Jeremiah Isley. He reminds me of you, and what did you say? I totally know who Jeremiah Isley is. He worked at Mr. Fun. He's one of those people that I have several Facebook friends in connection with, and I've always known him as this. Well, what's Mr. Fun? Oh, yeah, Mr. Fun's. That was the costume shop that I worked at for years before I ever moved to the Bay Area. Right, and this is in the Akron area in Ohio, right? Yeah, yeah, I worked Akron, Kent, store in Cleveland for a little while, but primarily, but the last couple years before I moved to San Francisco, I worked at the Kent Mr. Fun's. So you had a lot of mutual Facebook friends. Hey, you should try Jeremiah Isley. Yeah, he's somebody that over the course of time has come up in conversation several times. I believe he was homeschooled. I know he has a religious Christian background, but he's somebody that by very secular, very non-religious friends certainly have a lot of respect for him. Which is surprising because there's this horseshoe effect that people talk about where anytime you have right versus left or you have two sides of an argument, the more extreme you go on either end, the more similar you end up being, and that's a horseshoe effect. So it's very interesting that you have people from one very opposite of the religious end of Jeremiah, but they're still really cool with Jeremiah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very non-religious, and I would say I'm religiously irreverent for the most part. Just can't stand organized religion for the most part, but I can get along with religious people very well. I have a lot of respect for anybody that can kind of coherently put together their thoughts. Right. And I have a lot of respect for logical philosophy. What I don't have respect for are convictions based on hearsay or... I know what you're saying. Anytime there's any hate from anyone and their reason to back up their hate, if it isn't, yeah, I'm just a hateful person, if they give a reason besides that, maybe religion's back behind it or maybe it's a political view, it comes into question. You're just doing this because someone is telling you to hate this way or someone's telling you to dislike someone in this way? In general, what I run into with religious people is I start to think when I get into conversations with them and I have respect for them is I start to think you're too smart to believe that you're too smart to have fallen down this hole. Honestly, that's a compliment for people. I can respect what people believe. I'm an empirical thinker. I'm a logical thinker. I like to process things like that. So much of religion is really not based on empiricism. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a science guy. Most of the people in my family were scientists or teachers, so it makes sense that I like fact and I believe believe that for the most part, the idea is figuring out like, you know, what is true and what is not true. And that's what I like to go off of. And so much of religion to me, it really isn't based on that. It's based on feeling and how does this make you feel? And do you trust this? And faith is something that for me is kind of diametrically opposed to the idea of empirical data. I've heard that before. A lot of people have argued that science and religion are opposites, but there's plenty of people that attempt to bridge that gap as much as possible, saying they're not mutually exclusive. But 
Anyway, I didn't mean to turn this all into let's talk about religion and Jeremiah Isley. I've had several late night conversations with you where the sun rises and we think, oh my goodness, we've just been talking about these things nonstop. And I've done it with Jeremiah as well. So we've had very similar talks, even though Jeremiah has very similar viewpoints than I do. And I would definitely say you. It's interesting how the application of these viewpoints lead to very similar behaviors and core beliefs. So it's why do you do this? I do it because I'm a Christian. Why do you do this? I do this because I rationally, empirically believe this is the better thing to do. I want to be a good person. I always think that that's fascinating, too, because there are a lot of, you know, I mean, most of our country is dominated by Christians. And certainly I have great conversations with many of them and I can respect a lot of what they say and I can get into these really depth things and we can arrive at the same conclusions for so many different things and how we feel about so many different things. Very interesting to me. At the heart of it, we have this really fundamental difference in something that we believe, but ultimately it doesn't mean that we can't get along. It doesn't mean that we can't have great conversations. It doesn't mean that we can't do things together and work on things together. Yeah, we could talk so long about this, and we've talked before about how I'm a Carl Rogerian, and that's kind of what you're saying is just that unconditional respect and giving someone the benefit of the doubt and not imposing your will to at least hear someone out before anything. We talked in the Tuesday Night Podcast before about how drawing a line in the sand is a way to make enemies rather than change someone's mind. So one of the worst things you could do is basically unfriend someone or tell someone they're just a plain idiot for their viewpoints instead of just, hey, try to make me understand. And if I give you the benefit of the doubt, I hope you do the same and let's have this conversation. At the very least, like I'm willing to change my mind and hopefully other people are willing to do that as well. But a lot of people aren't. Didn't mean to make this all philosophical because we got to get to business besides all of this. I just recorded with Jeremiah the Star Wars recap. Did you see the Star Wars movie? I did. Uh, somehow I managed to see it Friday. Friday night. What was really funny about it is Amanda got out of work and we were coming across the bridge and I told her, if I can Fandango us tickets, by the time we get over the bridge, we're going to go to the movie. Sure enough, I got some right away. Got up to the box office and they told us we, we had bought the last tickets as somebody was there in line. Somebody else got up to the ticket window and oh, sorry, no. Yeah, but we went and saw it on Friday. Fandango! <laughs> yeah, it was kind of the opposite of the miracle ticket. We took it away from someone. Alright, we're trying not to do plot spoilers, but I just have one question for sure. you. Force Awakens, homage or ripoff? It was certainly an homage. Yes. They did everything that they could to give us the feeling of 4, 5, and 6 as much as they could. When I got out of there, I felt like, if nothing else, if nothing else, it is mouthwash for 1, 2, and 3. It <laughs> totally gets that taste out of your mouth of 1, 2, and 3. In that sense, it was great. If people take nothing else from 4, 5, and 6, it's, it's great that you don't have to worry about one, two, and three ruining any of your Star Wars memories anymore. I think this really redeems the idea of the I the, redeems the idea of oh, we can make more Star Wars movies because I think that was probably a big part of what we had all doubted was can they make another good Star Wars movie? I think we got one, and I think that was a very reasonable doubt for people to have. Absolutely. As I'm watching the movie, there was a big piece of anxiety that I had, much akin to when I watched a new comedian get up in front of an audience live, I think, uh-oh, you're always kind of rooting for him. Like, man, you're doing this, you're trying to be a comedian, and it's it's something hard to do to make everyone in the room laugh, and if jokes aren't funny, you almost obligatory want to laugh. I wasn't obligatorily liking the movie, but when Han Solo came on screen, I was thinking, okay, let's not ruin this character. This is a whole bunch of lifestyle loving and a fan appreciation going on right here. Is he still going 
gonna be Han. Huh? It was cool that it definitely did its due. Han it comes is. on screen and it's Harrison Ford. It's Han Solo, but he looks old too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's yeah. no two ways about it. You know, Han was a bad example. I was more talking about Carrie Fisher because when Carrie Fisher came on, I'm like, Princess Leia was a long time ago, Carrie, <laughs> and I'm not sure that was a lot of lines ago. Indeed, if you know what I'm saying. Indeed, indeed. I thought all of the original cast were great in it. There is one spoiler that I think is very safe to give away. Uh, I was very excited in the original characters that they brought back. Uh, really excited to see Neon Numb. That was very nice. I checked the credits to make sure that that was in fact Neon Numb. I think most people won't even know who you're talking about. You're at geek level 10 right now. If you know who Neon Numb is, you're going, oh my god, that's that's great. But honestly, if you know who Neon Numb is, you've probably already seen the movie and you know he's in there anyway. Exactly. It's a really good point. Alright, let's talk about board games. Would you consider yourself a gamer, Mr. Charles Nicklow? I do consider myself a gamer. I do play D&D regularly. There you go. Not as often as we'd like, but we do have a regular D&D game. Every month, about once a month or so. Fifth edition? Yes, yes, indeed. We just switched over to some new characters. We just split off of our characters uh, that we started with. We actually played on Thanksgiving. That was our Thanksgiving day. We all got together. Uh, several of us from Costumes on 8. I'm thankful for dice. <laughs> indeed, it was awesome. It was really great. That being said, uh, all of our characters did die on Thanksgiving. It was not a successful run. I think everybody but... Uh, it's kind of apropos with the pilgrims and the Indians. Indeed. And it was a slaughter. It was a slaughter. And the DM, I would say, was merciless. You know, he was fair. Actually, I think Amanda escaped and ran back to town. She was the only one who lived? She, she, she was the only one that lived. Was and, she a rogue? Uh, She was a rogue, in fact. <laughs> it makes sense. I'm out of here. The rest of us were slaughtered pretty good. Now, were these ongoing characters or were these freshly rolled characters for that evening? This was the second time through with these characters. We had switched over okay. the adventure from, from the characters that we started with. So it's not that bad. You didn't have these characters for years or no three hours, five hours of use you know, before going into this adventure? We probably spent six to seven hours with them. A little disheartening for me, to be perfectly honest, because I was playing as a monk and I'd never played as a monk before. I had a little halfling monk that I'd kind of set him up as a Yoda-style combat guy that catch arrows and bounce around. Did he die by failing to catch an arrow? No. He basically, he was pretty much cut in half by somebody with plate armor. <laughs> Speaking of total party kills, let's talk about holidays. This is a time of rejoicing with family, which can be really frustrating. A new year is like a new beginning. I like to look back, to kind of do some downward comparison. What was bad with the past year? What was bad with years before? And appreciate how life is just constantly growing and improving. But what I want to hear for this holiday spectacular is Chuck's adventure in Holiday Travels, which I think we'll call the worst holiday story ever. <laughs> well, what would you call it? You know, I'm really not sure because what's sad is when you asked me about over the summer and you said, yeah, your worst day ever. What was a little sad for me is while this was a horrible day, I really had to think, was this really my worst day ever? <laughs> it's just entertaining for downward comparison. It's funny we're laughing about it because it involves death and horribleness, hospitals and so much frustration. But I think that's kind of the point is looking back and being able to reflect and appreciate that this isn't happening every day. 
it was certainly my worst holiday travel. It was very rare for me to come back to Ohio without Amanda, for me to come back solo. But this is one of those times where I did. And I believe, and this is probably not a coincidence, although I hadn't thought about this, I believe this was the last time that I came back to Ohio around the holidays at all. Do you think it was because of this? I hadn't really thought about that, but I think there probably is a subconscious element there that if I'm going to go through this, I at least need to have somebody else there. And it did not help that it was around the holidays. It was my travel day back. It wasn't a travel day there. So holidays done, but the return from the holiday. You know, holidays for me, I've been living out here for 15 years now. And a couple times that I have gone back, holidays always involve going from this house to this house to this house to this house to this house. And it's a lot of bouncing around. And it's very in the ass. It's very time consuming because my family lives three hours apart from each other. If I go with Amanda and we see you guys, your mom and your dad and you and you guys are spread out. So it's a pain in the ass to bounce around a lot. And honestly, I'm not a Christmas person. Christmas is fine. I'm very uncomfortable opening gifts in front of people. Uh, I've always hated opening gifts because it's such a lose-lose situation. It's so hard to be very genuine and surprised. This emotional expectation that you have that's put on you. Okay, you are required to react this way emotionally. It's like being put on stage in front of a group of people and you're expected to give this performance. Oh, yay! Great. Another look at this great shirt. This is awesome. Yay. I'm not sure what the best response is supposed to be. I almost feel that Christmas is a game where someone wants to say, I win because when they opened my gift, they literally exploded. Yes. This is. (laughs) Yeah, they. uh, Yeah. My gift left a wet spot. Yay, you know? Yeah, we're Uh, still cleaning up the mess after they opened my gift. But yeah, I think somewhere, if there is an afterlife, somewhere between the seventh and eighth, maybe seventh and a half ring of hell is just opening gifts in front of people. That's (laughs) not, it's just horrible. It's such a horrible thing that we do to each other. So I'm not a fan of that to begin with. But at this point in this trip, I have survived this. It's the morning that I'm leaving. I think my flight's at three or four in the afternoon or something like that. You know, so I can go have lunch with my mom. I'm staying with my mom's. That's a whole part of the equation, too. You know, I was still staying with my mom's. I learned, finally, this summer, I stayed with you when I came to Ohio. It was and, amazing. Uh, you guys come uh, back was, every time. Uh, it's like, oh, my God, why have I not been doing this for years? But, you know, it can be real challenging staying with my mom. She always has a couple of really big dogs. I mean, we have big dogs as well. It's, I guess it's it's not it's not the She's dog. She's not going to listen to this podcast, Chuck. Go sure. ahead. Just okay. let it out. So my mom doesn't keep her house clean. She knows this. I have allergies, so I always have reactions there, but at the same time, I have this guilt if I don't stay with my mom. Every time that I would go and stay at my mom's house, I would just be miserable. But at this point, I've survived Christmas. I've survived the gift giving. I've survived staying at my mom's house. And it's the morning that we're leaving. We're supposed to have this leisurely day. We'll go out to breakfast where my mom wants to go to breakfast. And then she'll casually drive me up to the airport. But I wake up to my mom yelling for me. She's yelling for me downstairs. And I come down. And at this point, she had one dog. And it was this big standard pool, a big frou-frou dog, really, really sweet dog. As Foghorn Leghorn would say, as sharp as a bowling ball. Just the dumbest dog ever. But really, really sweet. A really sweet dog for my mom. Always great for her. And I come downstairs and my mom is cradling Chelsea and Chelsea is having a seizure or something like that. My mom is really upset and I'm upset seeing my mom like this. Put Chelsea in the van. We drive to the vet and we have to put Chelsea to sleep.
So this is how my day starts is my mom is horribly upset. I'm upset. You're definitely not an animal hater. No. You do no. great with animals even though you have allergies. You definitely are not an animal hater. So I know knowing you that alone is upsetting but attach that to your position with your mother. You coming in a town. Yeah. And you're her only child. Yeah? Yes. I'm her only child so I'm there with my mom primarily to comfort my mom going through this but then we're going to spend the rest of the morning together and this is our mood now as we're we're going up towards the airport. I remember afterwards we stopped and got lunch at a Ruby Tuesday. I don't know why I remember that detail that we ate at a Ruby Tuesday. I don't know why I remember that, but I remember my mom, my mom who is very crass, very irreverent and very vulgar. I remember her looking at me and like, well, I'm sorry your day had to start with putting a fucking dog to sleep. <laughs> I always remember my mom saying that. And we have lunch and we go up to the airport and my mom also is one of these people that she's got to get to the airport six hours early. I don't need that, but I'm there easily an hour and a half, two hours before I really need to be. So I'm sitting there in the airport, you know, reminiscing over my day really as little as I possibly can. It wasn't a fun morning. Finally, I get on the flight. The plane has been delayed because of weather. My connecting flight is in Chicago. My flight has been delayed for maybe about 45 minutes. We get on the plane and this is back in the era where they would pull the planes away from the gate and then just sit you on the tarmac. And we sat there for three hours, they said, because of the weather in Chicago. Three hours in a plane. Three hours on the plane, just sitting there. I remember we were on the plane long enough. For a while, they were playing games like, okay, whoever can guess the date on the penny that I'm holding closest gets a free cocktail. Oh, that old game. They're playing games like that. And they did that for about an hour and then just decided, you know what? We just need to give everybody everything for free because people are getting pissed off. It's probably good that we took off maybe about a half an hour after they started just giving people free drinks because eventually people were going to be drunk and pissed off. Let me slow you down really quick before you get back to Chicago. For listeners at home, you've made a drastic lifestyle change. This is, I forget how many years ago, but you looked radically different then. So I'm thinking of Chuck years ago in an airplane for three hours, not the Chuck oh of God, today. Yeah. So what's the difference? I was probably 325 to 350 weight-wise. I'm 125 pounds less easily than then. I was one of the fat guys that had to have the little extension seat belt. I wasn't a two-seater or anything like that, but you put me in, in the middle seat of an airplane for three hours just sitting there and I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be miserable on any flight, even if it's 40 minutes from here to Portland. Sitting for an extra three hours on the runway is going to be miserable. And honestly, it's not going to be fun for the people next to me either because I've got a spillover kind of into your seat too because that's how small airlines are and that's how big I was. I'm not sure people listening may appreciate is it's even better coming from you because you are not a complainer at all. In fact, when you tell this story, you laugh, you smile, you're very jovial about it. The one thing that makes this story in a very sick way interesting and fun, for me at least, is knowing the source from whom it's coming. It's coming from a guy who does not complain. So go on, going to Chicago. Finally, we get to Chicago. Of course, I'm several hours late, so I have completely missed my connecting flight. Now, since they pull us onto the tarmac, that was kind of the way that they got around having to compensate you at all for forcing you to miss your flight. So I show up three hours late. I've missed my flight in Chicago. They gave us, this was their compensation for us. This was their solution because there were no flights coming out of Chicago to San Francisco that night. 
Uh, I'd already missed the last one. Their compensation, I got a free shuttle ride to a hotel to which I had a 25% off coupon. Woohoo! Yes. I did take that offer, although... At this point, it was about 2 a.m. My flight leaving that they booked me back on, my flight leaving Chicago is at 9 a.m. So I'm getting to this hotel at 2, really just so I guess I don't have to stay in the airport for six hours or something like that. They shuttle us to the hotel and don't have my bags or anything like that because we've missed our connecting flight. My bags have long gone on to San Francisco. And it's in the winter because it's holiday season. And I remember I come out of the shuttle and I'm walking to the hotel and that cold air hits me and I'm an asthmatic and I could feel it and I knew that my asthma medication was in my check bag. For those people that are asthmatics, asthma is one of those things, there's a physical component, there's also a psychological component too. And if you kind of know that you don't have your medication, that is not going to help you at all. There's definitely a a trigger there that you start to build that anxiety, and as soon as you get the anxiety built up, it just makes it worse. So I feel that cold air and I'm just, oh my god, all I've got to do is survive a few hours, I'll get to my room, I'll just lay down, I'll take it very easy, this will pass. But of course I get to my room and that anxiety and knowing that I can't do anything about my asthma, it just, now I'm just in a full-blown asthma attack. I'm there in my room and I'm like, okay, I can't do anything about this. Uh, I'm in a hotel. I'm miles away from anything. It's the middle of the night. It's not like I can just walk to a corner store or Walgreens and get my prescription refilled. Okay, well, what can I do here in the room? Caffeine, caffeine is kind of a home remedy for asthma. I've got a coffee maker, so I start making coffee. Talking to a man on the phone and and I'm making coffee. 45 minutes later, still asthma attack, but now I'm wired. I go down to the hotel desk clerk, and this is three o'clock in the morning, and hey, uh, are there any supermarkets here? You know, uh, is there anything close nearby? You know, maybe I can get some kind of, I'm having an asthma attack, maybe I can get some some kind of over-the-counter, over-the-counter kind of thing. At this point, I'm getting really desperate. That hotel clerk, and this was so awesome, that hotel clerk left the hotel, unattended basically, and drove me to a supermarket. Uh, I went in there and I bought four different kinds of over-the-counter asthma medication. Well, the problem with over-the-counter asthma medication, just like with coffee, is that's based on stimulants. There's a reason why Walter White in Breaking Bad, one of the first times that they really start cooking meth, that they send they send a guy out to just buy all of the asthma medication over-the-counter that they can get. It's, it's just like how they were with Sudafed or Mini Thins like 10 years ago. So I get back to the hotel and I'm desperately cranking all of that stuff in me. And at this point, now I'm super wired. It's four o'clock in the morning. I'm still suffering an asthma attack. And so at this point, I call a local emergency room and I'm like, hey, uh, can I come in there and have you guys hook me up with some asthma medication? No, if you're really having a problem, you should call an ambulance. They'll come, they'll be able to treat you. And at this point, I'm desperate. So I call the ambulance. And they show up, and I'm thinking that what the ambulance will do... Drive up treatment. Yeah, I know, as somebody that had asthma for 15 years, I know all I need is my medication. 
That's all I need. And I'm thinking, okay, just give me a hop. Oh, I know. It's like the history eraser button. It's boom. It solves it, which I think is part of one of the things that's so frustrating when you get that anxiety building with you is because you know that this will just be so simple to correct. So the ambulance shows up. Oh, no, we're not going to just give you drugs. And on top of it, you've cranked yourself so full of over-the-counter stimulants and coffee that now you have an accelerated heart rate. And now we have to take you to the emergency room. So now it's 4.30 in the morning. That same desk clerk that has taken me to the supermarket is watching me get wheeled out on a stretcher out to an ambulance. They take me to the hospital. I'm there in the emergency room. I'm just an asthmatic. I'm an incredibly low priority patient for this emergency room. It's the middle of the night, so they don't have a whole lot going on. They put me in my own little bed, but I'm just in one of those beds that has a curtain that gets drawn around it. Uh, that's all the privacy. And one thing that I do remember about this emergency room is that this is right around the time when, I mean, I guess doctor shows are still popular, but Chicago Hope and ER and shows like that. What I remember is that, wow, I'm in an emergency room in Chicago. And it's true. These medical professionals are all beautiful people. It was just this, inc I remember how gorgeous each of the attendings were overnight. This is right out of a TV script from the era. Anyway, so they pull this curtain around me and there's another bed next to me. I'm a low priority there. And I understand that, especially once I get treatment. Once I get treatment, then I'm breathing. Then it's just a matter of paperwork. I was there for probably 40 minutes or so before I did get treated. I understand. I've got to make sure that I'm legitimate. Once I'm treated and I'm breathing, then I'm an even lower priority to get out of there. So I just sit there for 90 minutes to two hours, the whole time knowing, of course, okay, my flight is in where and I've got to get back to the hotel. But I'm sitting there in the bed and this was kind of the crowner for me is I'm, I'm sitting in there in this bed and I'm not there for any other reason other than clerical paperwork shuffling. I'm sitting there and in the bed next to me, I can tell that it's someone who has perhaps just had last rites read to them and the family is there around them and I can hear this conversation, horrible conversation. It's a one-way thing. They're, they're talking to the body. I'm hearing this conversation where they're pleading for dad to wake up. I remember the girl, dad, please, dad, please, dad, please, dad, please wake up. Please come back to us, dad. And what I had been going through for the entire day just meant really meant nothing compared to that. This heart wrenching thing, selfishly, can I just get out of this damn hospital so I don't have to listen to the last rites? What am I doing here at 4.30 in the morning in Chicago, listening to them trying to resurrect the dead next to me? It's pleading with this body over and over and over again. There was a daughter whose voice, my mental image of her is early 20s, and then there was another male voice, 16 or 17 is where I have his mental image in my head, and the mom was there, but the mom didn't say much. It was mostly the desperate pleading of this daughter. I couldn't see any of this. I'm just hearing this through this curtain. Just short of the scene in the movie where someone throws themselves on the casket. And they're just short of hysterics. I sat there and I listened to that while I'm waiting. All I'm doing is waiting to be discharged. I was there for an hour and a half, two hours or so, just listening. I do remember them coming in and giving me the thing to sign. And I remember being like, hey, uh, can you guys call a cab for me or something? 
this is the middle of the night. This has been a long day. I'm totally disoriented. And they did call a cab for me. I remember that. Cab took me to the hotel. I pretty much ran in and grabbed my bag and then had him take me to the airport. It was that kind of bang, bang, one thing right after the other. Listening to their grief added this extra layer of shock and surrealness to it. So many things had happened. And then this thing happened where you you almost wouldn't believe It almost felt scripted. Be there in that room and listen to this conversation. Almost like this can't be real. In my head, when I think about that night, I forget about the flight that I had connecting me back. What I do remember is that I used to be terrified of flying. I'm not anymore, but it used to be definitely an issue that I had. I remember on the flight back, we experienced tremendous turbulence and I got really freaked out. I had a window seat and I was sitting in a row with a woman and a kid. I would guess that the woman was probably the kid's grandmother because it was an older woman, too old to be the mother. And the kid was probably six or seven. And I got so freaked out from the turbulence that that kid reached over and held my hand. It was to comfort me, yes. It was a really sweet, kind of beautiful thing to have happen. It speaks to how horrible that flight was for me, that I was probably just short of tears in fear. Thank God I'm not afraid of flying like that anymore. The mother or grandmother that was there with the child, I remember her noticing that. And I think she was really a little freaked out or maybe a little like, oh my God, pull it together. But at the same time, uh, (laughs) at the same time, I think she was really proud of that kid at that moment too. You're welcome, grandmother. You're now proud of your grandchild (laughs) because of me and my inability to fly. Yes, it took my irrational fear of being in this airplane (laughs) allowed you to be proud of your child. (laughs) You're you're welcome for my fear. (laughs) What a happy ending to the story. It ends with a child impressing their grandmother. Yes, hope for the future. I love this story because anytime anything goes wrong during my travel, I can do that downward comparison and tell myself, well, my dog didn't die. I'm not going to be in the airplane for three hours. I'm not an asthmatic who has a fear of flying. I'm not having an asthma attack without any of my things which are now waiting for me on the other side of the country. I don't have to be escorted in the middle of the night slash morning by the only person working in a hotel. I don't have to call an ambulance. I don't have to listen to someone die or even worse, hearing the family say goodbye. I don't have to be comforted by a child. It'll be okay, Alan. It'll be okay. (laughs) Because I have this story to let me know I'll be okay during this holiday season. Thanks for sharing, and now I'm so glad I have that on record. So <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime I'm uh, being a little curmudgeoned, I can just remember... It could be worse. <laughs> Charles, over 125 pounds heavier, asthmatic, uncomfortably in the airplane. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Hey, thanks. We're, we're out of time. We're over time, even though there's no real set time limit. But I hope listeners appreciate your holiday story as much as I did. Send us any feedback you have with the email. Send your emails to podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. That's night with a K. Or you can check me out on Twitter. My name is 
Alan Gerding at A-L-A-N-G-E-R-D-I-N-G. And if you like the music in this episode, you can thank the very talented Jay Tholen, the same guy who made the Dropsy video game. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Holiday Spectacular. This episode is... And then you say finished. Finished. There you go. You don't listen to the podcast, do you? Uh, I, I didn't make that far. <laughs> it's in every episode. That's how we end the episodes. I haven't made it to the end of that. You son of a bitch!